0: Inheriting land is one thing, but inheriting promises is another. See how Ruth and Boaz relate to the central promise of the scriptures on The Bible Brief. Today is review day on The Bible Brief. If you haven't left us a five-star review on your podcast player, will you do that today? Reviews are a key way that new people find out about the show. To understand the book of Ruth, we need to understand a concept called Leveret marriage, something we haven't seen since Genesis chapter 38. Leveret marriage is the idea that if a woman married a man and the man died without producing any sons by that woman, then that woman was given to the next eldest brother of the man as a wife. In this way, the deceased brother could have nominal offspring. The living brother would produce offspring with the woman on behalf of his deceased brother. In this way, the deceased brother's family line would be continued. Now, it's important to note that the still-living brother couldn't just have offspring with anyone and arbitrarily assign the offspring to his dead brother. No, he would have to have children with his deceased brother's wife. Only offspring from that union would be considered a legitimate continuation of the deceased brother's family line. This makes Leveret marriage intimately connected with inheritance. We previously saw that Genesis chapter 2 helps us understand not only marriage, but inheritance rights in a family. Inheritance is connected to the male offspring. And marriage connects the man's wife with his inheritance. We can think of things like this more simply. Let's suppose parents have two sons, son A and son B. Son A is the primary inheritor from his parents. Before long, Son A marries a woman, and by virtue of their marriage, the woman then becomes attached to the inheritance of Son A. Yet soon, Son A dies. Son B then has a leveret marriage with the woman, so that the family line of Son A can continue through the woman. And so, the first male offspring conceived by Son B and the woman is considered an offspring of son A and the woman, even though son A is deceased. The Leveret marriage has achieved the continuation of a family line that would have stopped with the death of son A. These concepts of marriage, inheritance, and Leveret marriage form the bedrock on which the book of Ruth builds, a bedrock that has ramifications for the most important family line in the whole Bible. Barley and wheat harvest are over, and Naomi has been thinking about her daughter-in-law and her relative Boaz. Ruth is a foreigner from Moab, widowed by the death of Naomi's son. A death occurring while the family was in Moab, avoiding the famine that had overtaken the land of Canaan. But Ruth's husband wasn't the only one who died. Naomi's other son and her husband had died as well. It was almost as if a curse had come upon them because they had fled Canaan instead of depending upon God for their sustenance. But that was the past. Now that food was back in Canaan, thanks to God providing a great harvest of barley and wheat, Naomi and Ruth were back in the land as well. They were poor and destitute, with no husbands or men to look out for their needs. And Ruth had been gleaning extra wheat from the fields around the area of Bethlehem. Ruth had been especially in the field of Boaz the man that had provided for her a protected way to continue providing for herself and Naomi. Boaz had even been instructing his servants to leave extra behind them so that Ruth would not have to work as hard. But now the barley and wheat harvests were over and soon the work of turning that harvest into useful food storage had begun. And it's in this new season of work that Naomi hatches a plan involving her daughter-in-law. Naomi launches her plan by instructing Ruth on exactly what she should do involving Boaz. We read this in the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Naomi suggests that Ruth wash up, put on her best clothes, and put on some probably fragrant oil. And then she tells Ruth to approach Boaz in a particularly vulnerable moment after he's eaten and drunk after a long day of work, all settled down to sleep for the night. Then, oddly enough, she tells Ruth to uncover Boaz's feet before allowing Boaz to respond to Ruth's behavior. Now, it's difficult to know Naomi's intentions for Ruth doing this in the middle of the night, but it's not a stretch to think that she may have desired something romantic to occur between Ruth and Boaz. And Ruth, for her part, begins to play along with what Naomi has asked. We read this beginning in verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth does exactly as Naomi instructed, and apparently with feet uncovered, Boaz shivers himself awake to find that there's a woman lying down at his feet. Was this some woman of the night who had come to offer services to Boaz? What was going on? Well, upon this question, Ruth answers not in a provocative way, but in a humble way. She simply says, I am Ruth, your servant. Before saying something else that's easy to misunderstand. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, Boaz wasn't part eagle. He didn't have any wings. Ruth here is actually using a Hebrew idiom for the time that was nothing less than a proposition of marriage. She has come to Boaz in the middle of the night to propose marriage to him. The poor young widowed foreigner Has come to the wealthy, older Israelite landowner to propose marriage. In any other context, this would be preposterous. But Boaz immediately understands what's going on because she gives a reason for her proposal, too. She says, For you are a redeemer. Ruth wasn't proposing marriage for merely romantic reasons, she was doing it for her mother in law, too. Ruth was telling Boaz, that as a close relative of theirs and Naomi's by marriage, he had a responsibility to help care for them, and especially to ensure that the land of her deceased husband didn't pass out of the family somehow. And we come to find out that Ruth's proposal is met with kind and willing ears. Boaz reacts in this way, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. Naomi's plan is met with great success, and Boaz is now on a mission. However, before Boaz can accept Ruth's proposal, he must first confer with the nearer redeemer who could choose to help Ruth and Naomi. The day had now begun in earnest, and Boaz decides to set up an impromptu meeting among the elders of the city with this nearer redeemer the other man who could help Naomi and Ruth. Boaz explains in this meeting that the man has rights to acquire the land of Naomi's dead husband, but that along with the transaction comes Ruth. While this other man wants the land, he ultimately refuses to exercise this right of redemption. Boaz clued him in that a marriage to Ruth would require the man's offspring to be counted as offspring of Ruth's dead husband. Boaz was saying that any marriage to Ruth would be in the form of a leveret marriage, producing offspring for the deceased. This other potential redeemer wouldn't do that, and so he passes on this rite of redemption. This meant that Boaz was now free to marry Ruth and to redeem the property of Naomi's dead husband. But more than that, too, Boaz would sacrifice a lot in the process. He wouldn't be able to marry another woman of his choice. And he would take on any liabilities associated with the marriage and the land that he was acquiring. Boaz was showing an amazing love toward Ruth and toward her mother in law. He was taking care of two widows in their distress. Finally, we read this So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What a fitting end to a wonderful story of the love of a daughter-in-law for her mother-in-law, the love of a redeemer for a foreign widow, and faith in God's provision through the process. Yet that's not actually the end of the story. The end of the story actually occurs in the final five verses of the book of Ruth. Arguably the most important five verses in the book. Listen to the verses that unlock the whole reason for the book of Ruth. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. Now you may say to yourself, why are these the most important verses in the book? Why do they matter so much? Well, do you remember this man who the genealogy started with, Perez? He was the firstborn son of Judah, the tribe from which the great seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the king from Judah would come. Perez, the first one in this genealogy, is in the line of the kingly offspring who will bless the whole world and rule over Israel with righteousness. And this genealogy takes us from Perez through Boaz all the way to David, the greatest king of the Old Testament. This genealogy tells us something. This genealogy tells us that this drama of leveret marriage, land redemption, and love was a drama that produced not just a nice story, but a drama that God used to ensure that the line of the seed would continue. That through Boaz and Ruth, one would come who would fulfill the great promises that God has made. The drama of the book is heightened by these last five verses. In Boaz marrying and producing children with Ruth, it wasn't just some piece of land inheritance that was preserved for the family. It was an inheritance of something much greater. Through this marriage, the inheritance of this kingly line was preserved and passed down to subsequent generations. The marriage of this older man to this young Moabite woman would come to be in the greatest lineage of all time. The lineage of the seed, the great king who would come out of Judah. Here, even in the midst of this rebellious time period of the judges, we see Yahweh weaving the plans and actions of mankind for his own ends. God has a goal to history, and God will achieve it. His seed will one day come into the world, and he will be a descendant of Boaz and Ruth. Join us next time as the days of the judges draw to a close, and the day of the kings begins to dawn. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.